All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you in worship today. And uh, for those of you who are connecting with us online, we're so thankful for this technology that keeps us connected even when you can't be here physically with us. I want to just uh, foot stomp one thing uh, from that uh, video announcement that you just saw. And uh, it's this Out of the Cave series that we start next week. Um, this is going to be a really important series. I'm excited about uh, what, what God is going to speak to us as we look at His Word to say, how, how can He help us get out of those dark places? How can, we help the, how can He help the people that we know and love and care about get out of those dark places? And so whether that's something that you struggle with now, you've struggled with in the past, or you know someone, uh, the reality is, is after this last year of a pandemic, and all of the other trauma and crises and challenges, this is a real issue and the church has got to speak to it and about it and I'm so excited about what God is gonna share with us in these next two weeks. And so just wanna encourage you as we're in this Engage initiative for the next three years and we're absolutely praying that God would do great things in Kenya and we're absolutely praying that God would do great things as we build this student ministry center one of the biggest pieces of this was that all of us would have one person in our life that doesn't currently know Jesus, and we're just walking with them, helping them take steps towards Jesus. This is a perfect series for you to invite your one to. This is a perfect, because even if they don't need this, they know someone who needs this. And this is going to be something that God can work and use in all of our lives. And so I encourage you, uh, pick up one of these invite cards as you leave, and uh, I hope that you will uh, plan on inviting at least one person to join you uh, next week as we kick off this series. So um, the QR code was pulled up earlier uh, in those video announcements. If you missed it, uh, we're going to pull it up again for you. Um, we are ending this series, The Good Kings of Judah, today. And it has been… I've. You know, if I would have told you eight weeks ago we were going to do a study in the book of Second Chronicles, you would have all like had to organize your sock drawer every week. You'd have been like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm busy for the next eight weeks. Um, and so, but the reality is this has been, um, this has just been a really important series. And I believe as we've looked at these kings, that all did pretty good in the first three quarters of their life, but all kind of fumbled the ball in the last quarter. We've learned some important lessons about how God wants to help us make it to the finish line. Because starting good is important, but finishing well is so much more important. And um, so we're, we're going to end this series today looking at the last good king. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll follow along in those notes, either paper notes or version notes there from that QR code. But uh, in your notes, um, we're going to start off by just talking about how does God speak to us. And this is, this is what is clear. God speaks to His people. Uh, if you want to hear from God, I promise you God wants to speak to you. Um, we see over and over and over that our God is a God who speaks to His people. Um, and, and we see this in all kinds of different ways. These are just a few. Uh, please, this is not an exhaustive list. I, I want to just highlight a few of these because I think it's going to be important as we look at the life of King Josiah. And I want to just help us, even as we look at his life and we talk about the problem, I don't want us to get some bad theology, okay? So hang with me as we really quickly go through these. Number one, God speaks through creation. 
we know that God can speak to us through His creation. It says in Psalm 19, 1 through 4, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. But what is… What does creation tell us? I don't know about you, but when I look at creation, I, we, our family, we love to camp. We love to, to just go out into creation. In fact, right after this service, I'm headed home and the van is already packed and we're heading to Shenandoah National Park for a week and we're going to tent camp with four kids. Pray for us. Um, and uh, we're just going to enjoy creation. We're, we're going we're gonna to see God's majesty in His creativity and in, in the beauty that He has given us. And I, I think when we look at creation, we can learn a lot of things about God. But sometimes that's not always perfectly clear because sometimes we look at creation and we get a little confused because how do you feel about God when a hurricane is barreling down on us? And how do you feel about God when there's tsunamis and there's earthquakes and there's fires? And, and so, yes, we see God in creation, but sometimes that can even be confusing and, and, and challenging. And the second one there in your notes, you can just write down, we see God through our, our conscience, that God speaks to us through our conscience. Um, we see this in Romans, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 16 says this, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they have, uh, that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. And they demonstrate that God's law is written in their heart. What's interesting about this is this is a little bit of what we're going to see in Josiah's life. That even, even when we don't have God's written word, that, that there's just something in us where we can, we can actually hear the voice of the Lord through our conscience. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. So your conscience is a way that God can speak to you. But is that perfect? No. You know why we know that's not perfect? Because all of us either have said something like this before, or we know people who've said something, that they're doing something that is clearly against God's Word, but we're like, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. We, we know people who would be going down clearly sinful roads, and they would just say, but I, I think that's okay, that their conscience can be hardened, where they actually can't hear the voice of the Lord through their own conscience. And so, yes, God speaks to us through our conscience, but it's not always perfectly clear, and it's certainly something that can be hardened. And then the third, write this down. Occasionally, God will speak through unorthodox sources. And that's what we're going to really focus in on today uh, with King Josiah, because uh, that's exactly what happens with King Josiah. God speaks to him through an unorthodox source, and because he rejected the messenger, he rejected the message. Now, the reason I wanted to start with this is I want us to be really careful that we all start, don't, you know, don't just start Googling every crazy source, you know, unorthodox and start, oh God, speak to me, all right? Um, if God chooses to speak to you through an unorthodox source, it will be confirmed by the next one that you should write down, that God speaks to us through Scripture. And although the first three 
can sometimes be confusing and maybe they're not clear and, and certainly we'll see in Josiah's life as he was given a word from a very unorthodox source and he missed that word of the Lord, it had consequences. Um, you also need to be careful that you don't just start thinking you're hearing from God from every quackpot that's out there or, you know, every crazy situation that happens. It might have just been the bad burrito that you ate the night before. It might have nothing to do with the voice of the Lord. And so I'll say, if you ever hear from God through creation or your conscience or through an uh, unorthodox source or, you know, it, it, I didn't put this in your notes, but certainly God speaks to us, and we'll see this in Josiah's life, through spiritual leaders and through, through trusted friends and through people that um, can speak into us. In fact, the quality of our life is often dictated by the voices that we let into our life. The, the things that we are, the people that we're listening to, the friends that give us counsel, often determine the quality of our life for the long term of our life. And, and so there's lots of ways God speaks, but Scripture is the primary way that He clearly speaks to us. It says in Ephesians six seventeen, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so God's Word that becomes active and alive through the power of the Holy Spirit is able to communicate to us clearly. And we're able to hear from the Lord very clearly. And then the last one is this, just write this down, through Jesus. John 1.14 says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. And if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God wants, then look at the life of Jesus and we have a perfect image of God. And so God speaks through His Word and He speaks through the life of Jesus so clearly to us. But sometimes, sometimes He speaks through other means. And what I want us to understand is we can become spiritually deaf and we can actually miss the voice of the Lord because we don't stomach the messenger. And I'm just telling you, there may be some times and there's maybe some places and there may be some situations where God wants to speak to you and you're not necessarily looking for that. And, and we need to learn from Josiah, how can we stop? How can we pause? How can we set it through the filter of God's Word and say, is this truly something that the Lord is saying and that we don't become spiritually deaf and miss something that God has for us. For Josiah, it was an Egyptian pharaoh. Of all people, I mean, they kind of have a bad history with Egypt, you know? I mean, they were like slaves for a really long time under the Egyptians, and God chose to speak to Josiah through an Egyptian pharaoh. And because Josiah was not willing to stomach the messenger, he missed the message, and it had consequences for his life. Now, um, like a couple weeks ago, we looked at Hezekiah, <clears throat> and uh, Hezekiah, we said, was a really good king. <clears throat> and Josiah is the same way. Th this ending for Josiah, I wouldn't say this is a salvation problem ending. I wouldn't say this is a relationship with God ending situation. I, I wouldn't even say, um, you know, that this was sinful. But I would say that in the end of his life, when he stopped listening for the voice of the Lord, there were painful consequences that came into his life, and there were painful consequences that came into the kingdom 
because of his choices and because he stopped listening for the voice of the Lord. And so, in 2 Kings 23, 25, we're going to spend most of our time today in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles uh, 34 and 35. But in 2 Kings 23, verse 25, it says this, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. And so, it's clear that he was a good king, but he still made some poor choices at the end. He stopped listening. He became spiritually deaf. And so, if you have your Bibles, Second uh, Chronicles 34, we're going to just jump in right here. Um, and, and you'll notice in the very next chapter, 36, the book ends. And the book ends badly. After Josiah, there's no more good kings. Ultimately, the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple of God. Uh, ultimately, uh, they're hauled off to captivity in Babylon, and there is about 500 years of silence from God without the voice of the Lord being heard amongst God's people and until John the Baptist and a baby crying when Jesus was born. And so, uh, we, we see this really tragic ending, and in, in 34, we see the last of the good kings. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Now, I'll just, so just keep this in context. He, he dies at 39. So as we talk about spiritual deafness as we get older, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have gray hair uh, to have spiritual deafness. Older can be 39, all right? Um, so he was in Jerusalem for 31 years, and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, and he followed the example of his ancestor David, and he did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eight year, eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images. He ordered all the altars of Baal to be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them to be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and their cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. So in your notes, just write this down. At age 16, so he was eight years old when he took the throne, and it says uh, eight years um, into this, at age 16, he began to seek God. And you know, I don't, I don't know how you would define when either you yourself or someone that you know begins to seek God, sometimes it's hard to articulate what that looks like. But I'll tell you, you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. When you see somebody who's really seeking after God, you just know it. You, and, and again, it's, you sometimes can't always just put your finger on exactly what all that is, but, but you can just tell that they have a heart that is seeking after God. 
You, you've experienced that in your own life. There have been seasons where, where your heart was just seeking and pursuing God. And maybe there's other times in your life where you're going to church and you're, um, you know, you're, you're doing the things that you're supposed to do. And, uh, but the truth is, is you can come to church and you cannot be seeking after God. You can tune in online and not truly be seeking after God. Um, there, there's just, there's a different heart about truly seeking after God and just going to church. You can, you can be reading your Bible every day, and you should be reading your Bible every day. But you can read your Bible every day and check a box and not truly be seeking after God. So there, there's just a heart difference, and, and you know it in your own heart, and you know it when you see it in other people, but there's just something about being hungry for God. I, and I'll just say this is why in August, when we go into our prayer and fasting starting on August 8th, this is one of the really important reasons why you should participate in this prayer and fasting. There's something significant about fasting. When we say, I'm going to not eat these certain foods, I'm not going to eat these meals, and, I, and Lord, I'm going to be hungrier for you than I am for this food, there is something powerful that God begins to do in your own life to help you seek after Him in a greater way. And so if you find yourself kind of doing a lot of the things that you feel like you're supposed to do, but you just don't feel your heart really passionately chasing after God, prayer and fasting is a wonderful way to recenter your life. And so I just encourage you to, to be in part, participate in that. But at 16, Josiah begins to seek after God. He begins to hunger after Him. At age 20, in your notes, you can write this down, he began to cleanse the land. He began to just clean up shop. He, he recognized that um, in order, his seeking heart really kind of translated into national policy for him. Now, we all don't have that right, and we all don't have that power, but for him, he had that power. He had a seeking heart, and he said, I'm going to translate my seeking heart into national policy, and he began to clean up shop in the nation, and he began to destroy all of these places of idol worship, and he understood that sin had to be dealt with before revival could come. He understood that there was some cancer that needed to be cut out before real healing could happen. He understood that it took repentance in order to experience revival. And I, I think this is something that is so important. We'll, we're never going to experience God until we deal with sin. And that's what Josiah understood. He, he dealt with sin, and because he dealt with sin, they were able to experience real revival. And so at age 26, you can write this down, Josiah restored true worship. So he, he began to seek after God, he began to cleanse the land, and then he restored worship. And, and that took place in a lot of different ways. He, he repaired the temple, he brought back the Passover, he, he did a lot of things to restore right worship for the people. But I want to look at uh, chapter 34, verses uh, 8 through uh, 9, it says this, In the 18th year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Messiah, Messiah, these are great names by the way. If you're thinking of having children or you're going to have some great, this chapter is just full of great, great names. You should just write them down um, and plan on being a part of experiencing these great names. Jerusalem and Joan, son of Johaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord 
his God. Verse 9 says, And they gave Hilkiah the high priest the money that had been collected by the Levites who served as gatekeepers at the temple of God. And so essentially this is what's going on. They, they're beginning work on the temple. They, they collected some resources. God's people contributed their tithes and their offerings, and they used that to repair and restore and, and, and do all the things that needed to be done in the temple. And 2 Chronicles 34, 14, it says this, skip down to 14. While they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. This is one of the most important things about King Josiah. They lost God's word in church is what this is saying. Like God's word got lost in church and Hilkiah finds it. This is really interesting. Um, This might have been the first time God's word got lost in church, but it was not the last. And I'll just say, whenever God's word gets lost in church, there are ramifications and there are consequences and there are destructive things that happen. But when God's word can be rediscovered in his church and when his people can become hungry again for God's word, buckle your seatbelts because God has some really amazing things that he wants to do and say among us. And so some people think that it maybe was the, the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Others, and this is probably where I would lean, uh, would, would say this was the book of Deuteronomy that was discovered. Um, and, and so there's this discovery of the book of the law, probably Deuteronomy, but we don't know exactly what it was. And it says in verse 15, I love this, Hilkiah, son of Shaphan, the court secretary, uh, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Shaphan took the scroll to the king and reported, your officials are doing everything uh, that they were assigned to do. The money that was collected at the temple of the Lord has been turned over to the supervisors and the workmen. And Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. And so Shaphan read it to the king. Now, this is why I kind of lean towards the book of Deuteronomy, because it would have been a long reading if it would have been Genesis through Deuteronomy. But the bottom line is, can you just picture the king sitting on the throne and Shaphan opening it up and just reading cover to cover the book of Deuteronomy to him and saying, hey, this was found in the temple. This is God's word. And just a, a powerful picture here. Um, verse Verse 19 is, is the response to this. Um, after this is read to him, it says this, when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. So remember we were talking about how does God speak to us? Early on in his life, God was speaking to the king through his conscience. Because remember, he just, he started seeking after God. But it looks like according to this passage, that he didn't even have God's written word to even look to. He, it, was, it was God leading him through various ways, and, and he began to seek after and hunger after God even before hearing clearly God's word. And, and when he hears it for the first time, he tore his clothes in despair, and he gave these orders to Hilkiah, 
Achim, son of Shaphan, and Akbars, again, great names for kids, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Isaiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple, speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel of Judah, and inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord, and we have not been doing everything this scroll says we must do. So Hilkiah and the other men went to the new quarter of Jerusalem, listen to this, to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. Let me just hit pause there for a second and just say, um, as we think about how God speaks to us, um, you need to know that the prophet Jeremiah, which was a bit of a big shot, a whole book of the Bible, um, the prophet Jeremiah was alive at this time. But when they went to go hear a word from the Lord, the Lord leads them to Huldah, a prophetess, a woman, to speak the word of the Lord to them. And I think this is really interesting, and I was reflecting on this passage even as I reflected on Pastor Deanne preaching to us last week, and I was just thinking, you know, we would be a church that would say God can speak through men and God can speak through women. That, that God's Holy Spirit can anoint and lead and empower, and, and He is not a respecter of persons. And we've seen that, um, and you experienced that even last week, as God spoke to us uh, through Pastor Deanne so clearly. But, but I just want to remind us, this isn't new. It's not new that God was speaking through women. It, was, it wasn't Jeremiah that gave the word of the Lord to the king. It, it was Huldah, this prophetess, that God used to speak in this mighty way. And, and so, Josiah, just to kind of recap here, early in his life, it was through his conscience that he heard from the Lord. And he began to seek after God. And then later, he heard very clearly from the Lord through the written Word of God, probably the book of Deuteronomy, the law being read to him. And, and, and he, he heard, he, he listened for the Word of the Lord. And then, it was through Huldah, a prophetess. It, it, was through a, it was through a spokesperson of God, a, 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 a spiritual advisor that was trusted. And, and every time God spoke to him, he listened and he heard. He had really good hearing. But we see um, later in life, he kind of loses that. And again, it's not really late in life. He, he died at 39. And so... Um, we see in, in your notes, just write this down really quickly, revival in the Word, revival, seeking after God and having arrived heart should always lead us to the Word. And, and so if, if God is reviving your heart and you're seeking after God, it should lead you to want to read God's Word. And every time you read God's Word, it will lead to more revival in your heart. It just happens that way. Re revival leads to God's Word, God's Word leads to, to more revival, and then in your notes, write this down. When God's Word is neglected, spiritual life struggles every time. When God's Word is neglected, and, and you can just look at your own life, just stop and pause and think about the times where you've been really pursuing God's Word and reading in God's Word and the life that came from that, and when you wane in that area and the life that begins to struggle 
because you're waning in that area. And, and so just to say, Lord, give me a new hunger for your word to hear from you clearly through it. So write down jo- in Josiah's fatal flaw. Let's just talk about this for a minute. There's, again, he's a good king. He made a lot of good choices, a lot of good decisions. And, and the, the, the bad choice that he makes, I don't even know if I would say this was sinful, or certainly not a salvation issue, but it still had bad consequences. It, it still had challenging consequences. And, and of all of the good kings, Josiah's is maybe the hardest to understand. The text doesn't explain why Josiah does what he does. All we know is that he goes out to fight the Egyptian Pharaoh. The Egyptian Pharaoh says, hey, I don't have a fight with you. And he decides to fight him anyway. Like, we don't know all the story behind it, um, but let me give you just a little bit of historical context um, just to kind of set up what's going on here. And some of you like history lessons, you'll like the next two minutes. And if you don't like history lessons, hang in there for two minutes, all right? So 605 BC, most military historians that would study the great battles of all history, 605 BC would have been one of the greatest, at least in the top 10 of the most important battles ever fought in the history of the world. In 605 BC, the Assyrians were still the superpower of the world. Pastor Deanne talked about them last week, and and the Assyrians were just a a monstrous force. They were the ones who destroyed the 10 northern tribes of Israel. They, They dominated and controlled the entire world. And there was this other group of people called the Babylonian, the the Babylonian Empire. And this was kind of this upstart. And they were causing all kinds of problems for the Assyrians, but they were becoming more and more powerful. And in 605 BC, the Assyrians and the Babylonians met at Carchemish for one of the greatest battles in the history of the world. And that's what's taking place here. And, And there's all kinds of historians that will talk about this battle. But this battle here is talked about in God's Word and Scripture. And, and so what happened is Pharaoh was an ally to the Assyrians. And Egypt was south of where this battle was taking place in Carchemish. And so Pharaoh had to take his army north to go through the land of Judah to get to this battle of Carchemish to fight with the Assyrians. Now, side note, Pharaoh is going to lose terribly, and the Egyptians are going to be destroyed in a significant way at this battle at Carchemish by the Babylonians. But he's on his way to fight this fight. And for some reason, and we don't know why, we have this picture of the king, Josiah, taking his army to fight the Egyptians as they come north, passing through the land. And so we're going to pick up, we're going to skip a lot of really, really good stuff And we're going to pick up at chapter 35, verse 20. And you need to read both of these chapters on your own this week. Uh, But picking up at verse 20, it says this. After Josiah had finished restoring the temple. So, I mean, he's done all of this, cleansing the land, restoring good worship. King Necho of Egypt led his army up from Egypt to do battle at Carchemish on the Euphrates River. And Josiah and his army marched out to fight him. But King Necho sent messengers to Josiah with this message. Now listen to this. What do you want with me, king of Judah? 
I have no quarrel with you today. I am on my way to fight another nation, and God has told me to hurry. Do not interfere with God who is with me, or he will destroy you. Now, I don't think I would have wanted to listen to an Egyptian Pharaoh either, and you probably wouldn't have either. And, you know, we're like clearly, you know, this is a person that worships the sun and all kinds of other gods. And, and, and how in the world, why would God speak through an Egyptian Pharaoh? But this next verse, verse 22, says this, but Josiah refused to listen to Necho, to whom God had indeed spoken, and he would not turn back. Instead, he disguised himself and led his army into battle onto the plain of Megiddo. And so, I, I don't know about you, but when I read these kinds of scriptures, I'm like, Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't fit in my perfect little box that I have for you. And it, you know, like, God, why, why can't, why don't you fit into my framework sometimes? Like, why would you speak through an Egyptian Pharaoh? But according to this verse 22, God had spoken and God was speaking through the Pharaoh to say, hey, you don't have any part in this. You need to back off. And I was thinking about this proverb in light of this, because um, in a minute I'll just say, you know, what, what exactly did he do wrong? Because it's hard for me to beat up Josiah too bad for not listening to a Pharaoh, right? I mean, again, they've got a pretty bad past with Pharaohs. Um, but in Proverbs 26, 17, it says this, interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what's happening here, right? Um, you ever see two people fighting and you wanna go jump into that fight? Don't do that. That's not a good idea. You know what's going to happen? It's like yanking on a dog's ears. You don't want to go down that road. It's going to end badly for you, especially if it's a big dog. And that's kind of what's happening with the Egyptians here. Josiah gets involved in a fight that wasn't his fight. We don't know all the reasons why. We don't know what was going through his mind. But he decides to jump into this fight. And God says to him through the Egyptian Pharaoh, hey, you got nothing to do with this fight. I'm not even here for you. You know, just let it alone. And if he would have let it alone, the Egyptians would have been wiped out at Carchemish, and he wouldn't have had to deal with them in the way that he had to deal with them that particular day. But he missed this word. He became spiritually deaf. How is it that this happened? I, just in your notes, write a few of these things down really quickly. And, and I don't know all the answers here, but I do know that Josiah did not pause to inquire of the Lord. If there's one thing he did wrong very clearly is that when he heard this message from a very unorthodox source, he didn't stop and pray. We don't see any indication that he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He, he didn't go visit Huldah again and say, Huldah, what do you think God wants us to do? He didn't go visit Jeremiah. He didn't go send Hilkiah the high priest to, to go to the temple and pray and offer a sacrifice and say, Lord, what would be your direction for us? There was no stopping to inquire the Lord. And so I just think, again, before we make decisions to say, Lord, what would you have me do? And to listen very clearly to the ways that God would speak to us and to always filter it through God's word. Because again, if, if you think you heard from God and it contradicts this, 
you didn't hear from God, you had a bad burrito, or you just talked to some crazy person. You know, it always has to line up with the written and clear Scripture of God's Word. But number two, write this down. Um, He naively assumed, maybe, that God's promise made him immune to defeat. And we didn't read this, but in chapter 34, um, in verse 28, after he kind of tears his clothes and he repents, it, it says in 28 that uh, Huldah said there's going to be destruction that's going to come, but because you have repented, because you've turned your heart to God, it's not going to happen until you have, been, you have died and been buried in peace. And I don't know what that promise meant exactly, but in my mind and maybe in Josiah's mind, when I think about dying and being buried in peace, it's like an old man surrounded by family and they're all just huddled around you and it's like, you know, dying in a, in a peaceful situation with all your loved ones around you. And, and maybe he just thought, hey, I'm 39, I got this promise from God through Hulda that, that nothing's going to happen until I die in peace. And, and maybe he just thought that made him immune to defeat. And because he was arrogant, And because he became just kind of filled up with himself, he just went out to go fight when he didn't have clear direction from the Lord to go fight. And we got to pick our battles. This is so important to pick your battles wisely. There's some fights just not worth fighting. It's like yanking on a dog's ears. Just don't do it. Don't get involved in every fight. And then number three, I, I would say this is where I would land, is that he just became spiritually deaf. He became spiritually deaf. And... It, it appears that he missed the message of God because he couldn't stomach the messenger. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life, that you couldn't, you couldn't hear from the Lord because you couldn't stomach the messenger that was giving you the message. But I'm telling you, this can happen. And all of Josiah's life, he had listened to the voice of the Lord. He had listened to the voice of the Lord through what he saw in creation and through his conscience as a young man. He had listened to the voice of the Lord through the clearly written scripture as the book of Deuteronomy was read to him. He listened to the voice of the Lord as godly counsel was given to him from Huldah. He listened very well to the voice of the Lord until he got to this time in his life when he just couldn't stomach the messenger. And when he couldn't stomach the messenger, he refused to hear the word that the Lord had to give him. And I I won't spend a lot of time on this, but just quickly, we see over and over and over in Scripture where God speaks through unorthodox sources. Uh, We see in Scripture that Cyrus, the king of Persia, in Isaiah 44, 28, it says, when I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, this is God speaking, and he will certainly do as I say, and he will command, rebuild Jerusalem, and he will say, restore the temple. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, really awful, awful person. In Jeremiah 25, 9, it says, I will gather together all of the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and this is God speaking, whom I have appointed as my deputy. And so God has been able to use really unorthodox sources to speak and do his bidding. In, in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, it was the Magi. It was these people from the east who were stargazers who showed up to God's holy land and said, hey, the Messiah has been born. 
And everybody that was God's people missed it, but it was these Eastern stargazers who were the ones that got it. And we just think, really, God? Why would you choose to speak through these stargazers? It, it was my favorite in Numbers 22. It was Balaam's donkey who spoke. This is every preacher's favorite passage because every now and then every preacher starts saying, Lord, really, why, why would you use me? Like, wh- how, how could you speak through me? And, and then I'm comforted when I'm like, okay, he was able to use a donkey. He can use me. You know, there's just, there's something about knowing that wherever you are and no matter what your life story is, that God can use you to speak. If he can use a donkey, he can use any of us. So when you wrestle with, how do I talk to my one? I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. Listen, God can help a donkey speak. He can help you, right? All of us can be used by God to communicate uh, God's messages. And I, I think I'll close by, by reading this, this passage out of Mark chapter 8. It's a short passage, but I think it, it helps us here. Because spiritual deafness can happen. And I'm just telling you, the older you get, and he wasn't very old, he was 39. But the older you get spiritually, the more you begin to filter and say, I'm only going to allow God to speak to me through my approved channels. And if it's not one of my approved channels, no, 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 no. And what I love about this passage in Mark 8 is it kind of shows us that seeing and hearing these these senses that God has given us to discern His direction are so important. Listen to this. In Mark 8, Jesus had just fed the 4,000, and He gets in the boat with the disciples. He just literally took a few loaves of bread and fish and fed 4,000 people, and they say, we don't have any bread, and they're all worked up that they don't have any bread, and they're, they're snacky. And He's like, really, guys? He says in verse 18, you have eyes, but you can't see. And you have ears, but you can't hear. That's what happened to Josiah. He had ears, but he couldn't hear from God. And then right after that, there's this interesting story. And it's so important that this story happens right after when Jesus says to the disciples, who've been in a discipleship program for a year with Jesus, the Son of God, and they still have eyes, but they can't see. They still have ears, but can't hear. There's this story. It says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him, touch the man and heal him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and then spitting on the man's eyes. It's always one of these weird passages. Middle schoolers love this one. Spits on the man's eyes. And he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and he said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were opened and his sight was completely restored. And he could see everything clearly. And Jesus said to him, Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Now, here's here's the thing about this passage. There's these eyes and these ears, these senses that God has given us that we can discern the Lord's voice and, and where the Lord's moving and acting. And, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, guys, you don't have eyes to see and you don't have ears to hear. I look at Josiah's life and I'm like, here's a guy who had ears, but he couldn't hear. He wasn't willing to listen. And my favorite part of this passage is that Jesus says, but guess what? I can touch you and I can fix your blind eyes 
and I could fix your deaf ears. And what's really neat about this is it didn't take one touch. It took two. And I, I imagine there's some of us who are here this morning that maybe we need another touch. We need the Lord to, to speak to us again, to do something that, that we need him just as he put his hands on the eyes of this blind man and said, again, can you see? That we need him to put his hands on our ears and say, would you listen? Would you be willing to hear my voice? Hear it through the word of God? Hear it through maybe unorthodox sources? Hear it in, in a way that maybe you're not expecting to hear it, but would you just be willing to hear me? Because I want to speak if my people will listen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this song and these altars are open. If you want to pray and maybe just say, Lord, I need another touch from you. I want to hear from you. I want to see more clearly. We're going to just open these altars and sing and pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Josiah, for his life, for this message of what it looks like when we become spiritually deaf and we aren't willing to listen when you speak, even in ways that we don't anticipate. God, I pray that you would help us be willing to hear your voice. Help us to not miss what you would have us to hear from you today. And Lord, we'll give you praise when you help us not only hear from you, but respond in obedience. Give us, give us a second touch this morning. We're hungry for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. These altars are open if you want to pray. I love this. Mark chapter 8. Verse 18, when Jesus says, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? The truth of the matter is that sometimes we can't. 